Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you. Welcome to Series 3 of the Tim Hill Podcast. In the last two series, I've told you about my life. I've met many interesting people along the way who have become my friends. And what they all have in common is they all have fascinating stories of their own, which they are happy to share with you now. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. And this is Series 4. In this series... I'm talking about different stuff. In this particular episode, I'm just going to go on about a bit of a rant. I can only apologise for that, but over the last few weeks, I've been unable to to get people in to to record Series 3, so I thought I'd have a couple of weeks break, and then I'll come back with the Series 4, and this is Episode 4. So I'm just going to go on about what's been going on just recently. Some weeks ago, President Biden decided that he was going to just pull out of Afghanistan at the drop of a hat. Yes, we know it's been coming. Yes, they said they were going to do it. However, the way that he did it just beggars belief. The way he just went about saying, right, that's it, we're pulling out. Bosh, withdrew all the support to the Afghan National Army, which unfortunately without the support, got overrun by the Taliban and they've had to, (laughs) haven't been paid for months and months and months on end. You can't blame the guys. I mean, they are tough, they are courageous and they are savage fighters. I mean, they know how to have a punch-up. Let's look at Afghanistan over the years. Nobody's actually managed to occupy it for any length of time. The Russians got a bloody nose there. We've had a bloody nose back in the past. So Afghanistan knows how to fight. Unfortunately, this one, without the support, they just got overrun. Unfortunately, the Taliban have managed to capture all their kit and equipment. So that's going to cause us a problem in the future, surely. But what it's done is... All the guys that we had working for us are now in danger of their lives. Some have managed to get out. Some are still there. Some have their families still there. The Taliban have been going around knocking on doors and they've been asking for people who they know work for us and if they aren't there, then they beat up or kill their family. A friend of mine had his father and his brother killed by the Taliban because he has left the country and now he's safe. Unfortunately for him, his family are not. His mother, his sisters and a brother are still there fearing for their lives because he worked for us and now they're on the run from the Taliban having had a brother and a father killed. So what do they do? 
they were unable to get to, to Kabul in time to get airlifted out, and now they need to seek a, an alternative route out of Afghanistan with their lives while still being followed and the Taliban are checking everybody that's moving around the country. And if they find people that they're looking for, then the outcome for them is not great. I have another friend who was up in Jalalabad that worked for me back in uh, 2005, 6 and again in 8, 9. And he's a really good guy. He is up in, or he was in Jalalabad. I contact with him. He's trying to get him and his family out. Um, his wife was killed by the Taliban. He has a, a an adopted son and his mother and father and a sister. They are on the run. I haven't heard from them for a few weeks. He was he got his letter of authorization to come to the UK. He'd been given instructions to go to the the Baron Hotel in Kabul, and the last I heard, they were about to leave Jalalabad to make the the perilous journey to Kabul. I haven't heard from him since. I'm only hoping that he managed to make it and his phone had been confiscated or he'd he'd lost his phone, something like that. I don't know. I'm still waiting to hear something from him to see whether he'd managed to get out. But unfortunately, I'm fearing the worst. Maybe they were caught on the road, found out who they were because they had their passports with them. Maybe they were detained. Maybe they were killed on the road. I don't know. I'm still waiting to hear. The Taliban are still a brutal regime. People are saying that um, they were the Northern Alliance. They were never the Northern Alliance. The Northern Alliance were a different group altogether. And the Taliban have come in and they've tried to overtake the country. Apparently they've taken over all the country now. I'm just wondering whether they've managed to get the Pashir Valley. I suspect probably not. I think they're just putting out that they have as pure propaganda. They're stopping anybody going in and out of the Pashir Valley at the moment. So it is very difficult to be able to confirm or deny whether they've taken over that part of the country. I suspect that Massoud uh, has managed to stave off the Taliban from taking over that particular area. They're surrounded, yes, but it's such a remote area, it's such a mountainous area. The Northern Alliance guys under Massoud know the area like the back of the hand. The Russians weren't able to take over there. Nobody in history has managed to take over that area. It's such a remote area and the tactics that they use to stave off any invading army work. So good luck to Massoud and let's hope that they manage to get a, a resistance going to the Taliban. So we wait with bated breath to see what happens. In 2006... I had the opportunity to get some women in from the Women's Centre in Lashkar to record an episode or two episodes 
of what we've called the Afghan archers. This was a uh, a radio program that we put out for the locals about local life in Afghanistan. And each of the episodes that we put out would deliver a message of what we was going on and trying to instill in the, the local population that we were there for the good. These women, one of these women I'd met previously in 2002 at the big lawyer Jirga in Kabul when I was serving up there when we first went in in 2002. She's a very, very brave lady. She spoke to the lawyer Jirga on women's rights and she was listened to. And after she came off of the stage, I had the opportunity to have a chat with her and interview her for a piece I was doing for the ISAF News, which was a newspaper that we put together in three different languages, English, Pashto and Dari. And I gave her side of the story, what she was all about. And and that was put into the Af- uh, the ISAF News. And then I met her in 2006. And what a brave lady. She was still standing up for for women's rights in Afghanistan, in Lashkagar, and she was part of the council uh, in Lashkagar at that time. I don't know what's happened to her since. I didn't get the opportunity to, to get in touch with her when I went back in 2008-9 because my role had changed slightly and I spent that tour bouncing around Helmand uh, installing and training people on the radio in a box which is a commercial radio station in a box. It's a transmitter with some media and a laptop and a couple of microphones. And I train guys, the Afghan interpreters, to be radio presenters and the guys that were um, controlling them to be producers, to be able to produce some radio programs for the local area, which enabled us to push out messages and um, basically stuff to influence the local population to change their attitudes and and their behaviours towards us and people in general and trying to make things better for the country. Some of the messages we were putting out was to report any Taliban activities in the country because... If we can identify those guys, we can uh, deal with them, we can arrest them, bring them to justice and that sort of thing. So we're in a position now where local councils have been asked to house and help these genuine asylum seekers. Most of the guys that have come over didn't want to come. They wanted to stay in their own country. But for fear of their own lives, they have been forced, their hands been forced, and they've had to seek um, shelter and asylum in our country. Unlike the masses that are crossing the channel at the moment, these are illegal migrants. They are economic migrants. They are being trafficked by these unscrupulous bastards taking vast amounts of money off them and sticking them in dinghies and the French are actually escorting them 
away from French coasts and our border force taxi service, our RN and I are also being a taxi service. My thinking is instead of landing them in in Dover, land them in Calais. Simple as that. Pick them up, take them back, drop them off in Calais. This will stop that problem overnight. Apparently, legally, we're not allowed to do that. Well, legally, they can stuff it. That's what they need to do, and that will stem the flow. If they can't bring them in through that route, if we're just picking them up in the channel and taking them back and dropping them in Calais, they will stop that route. Simple as that. It stands to reason. If you stop them coming here, protect our borders, drop them back in France, where they come from, then they will stop coming via that route. They may find other routes. I mean, the the routes that they used to come in, the traditional routes in the back of lorries and stuff like that, then that is also stopped for the time being because it's easier to jump on a dinghy and get picked up and brought in rather than trying to sneak in the back of a lorry. One of the big issues that we've got in this country is over the last few decades, every single year, we've had immigration in the region of around about 250,000 people a year coming into this country, legally and illegally. The country is full. This is putting a massive, massive strain on our infrastructure. Not only do we not have the housing for them, but we don't have the capacity in the NHS, in our schools, in our transport infrastructure. The whole piece is putting under utter strain because of the amount of people calling on the services that we need just to support all these people. What is happening now is not sustainable. The amount of people that we have vastly outweighs the, the, the this country is one of the most populated countries in the world. We have more people per square kilometre than anywhere else in Europe and that is the big issue that we've got. We cannot sustain this amount of people coming in. The 15,000 or 20,000 Afghans that we're trying to rescue at the present moment in time is just a tiny, tiny drop in the ocean compared with the amount of people that have been coming in over the last few decades. This has just been going on and on and on. There are more people coming in than leaving, and that is the problem. So where do we go? How do we solve this problem? The government is on about now increasing national insurance to pay for for care. Well, that's kind of an unfair tax. What they should do is put up income tax by a penny. And that way, it's a fairer tax and it will generate more money to be able to fund these projects that they're looking at doing in social care. The NHS has to be reformed. The NHS is now not fit for purpose. It needs reforming from the top down. 
There are far too many managers that are basically don't have a job to do. They were advertising the other day for diversity and inclusion officers at some ridiculous amount of money. Why do they need to have diversity and inclusion officers in the NHS? The NHS is a multi-ethnic organisation. There is so many different ethnicities in the NHS. It doesn't need to have diversity and inclusion officers to tell people how to act. People generally respect people that work in the NHS. If you mention that the NHS is not fit for purpose, needs reforming, then you're cast as a... I mean, it's like um, slaughtering a sacred cow. It's got to be done. It cannot go on the way it is. It's just not fit for purpose. And until people realise that, then the situation is just going to get worse and worse. Anyway, I think I'm going to wind this little rant up now. I think I've gone on for quite long enough. So if you've managed to get this far, thank you for listening. And wait for the next one. If you'd like to be part of Series 3 and tell your story for your ancestors and your story for your children and grandchildren that they have a reference to listen back to in the years to come of your life and what you did, then please get in touch with me and we can sit down and I can record your story. So in the meantime, thanks for listening and look forward to the next one. Welcome to the Tim Hill Podcast. If you have the time, you can not only listen to the episodes, but you can also watch all the shows and you'll find the links in the description below. Thank you.